0: Hello everyone, I'm Refilwe Mpakanyane, and this is a special edition of African Tech Roundup. While I'm certainly a new voice on this podcast, I have been an avid follower and subscriber of African Tech Roundup for many years. And on this episode, I'm the associate producer. This special African Tech Roundup episode is a taster on digital transformation on the African continent. I know what you're thinking, what a broad and ambitious topic to address the vast array of opportunities, challenges, and variables across our 54 countries. So, of course, we're going to break the topic down into bite-sized insights from those people whose jobs allow them a unique vantage point to discern the digital road ahead. My guests are C-suite leaders from Africa's telecommunications industries, and I spoke to them on the sidelines of the inaugural Novacom Africa Summit, which took place in the gorgeous wineland setting of one of South Africa's oldest towns, Franchuk, in the Western Cape. This two-day event was an invite-only gathering of African telecommunications leaders to connect, collaborate and drive solutions in what's been termed a $100 billion opportunity for the continent of 1.4 billion people. To set the scene for how we might envision a digital transformation that connects Africa's next billion, I spoke to Nigerian business leader, technology executive, and social entrepreneur Dr. Juliet Ehumian. She's also the former MD of Google West Africa, whose experience includes playing a pivotal role in introducing Google products such as Google Maps and YouTube to the region. I asked her to lay out her blue sky vision for the continent.
1: So digital transformation, I would say in many ways, is already underway Mm -hmm. in Africa and more and more the digital economy, which is really the marketplace for digital goods and services, has been growing and is increasingly becoming a strong contributor to job creation, economic growth and, and, and GDP in our countries. And when I think about the a digital transformation, we can really see that in three buckets. The first is just access. And this is you know uh, broadband connectivity, people coming online. At the end of last year, there were around 570 million Africans online. Mm. Which is, which represents significant growth. In 2015, that number was, it, it's actually more than double the number that we had in 2015. So in seven years, we've more than doubled the number of internet users in Africa. We have about a billion. Uh, half a billion smartphone users, smartphone prices have been coming down as well. So more Africans are getting connected, which is great because that's giving them access to a lot of digital tools, platforms and services that they can use for business growth to develop themselves and for other purposes as well. So that's one pillar, which is really around access, internet access. The second pillar is around local content development. So when we talk about digital transformation and the digital economy, it's also having a rich and diverse portfolio of locally relevant content that people can engage with. So when you think about business information online, right, African businesses online, African creative content on platforms like YouTube, we're seeing an increase in that space. We have a generation of um, African entrepreneurs that are building their businesses around digital content creation and monetizing that content on platforms like YouTube, some of them earning up to seven-figure incomes, right? And there's been a year-on-year increase in that. You know, when you think about... The innovations that we're seeing in the tech entrepreneurship space, right, fueled by technology. So this is also in the space of digital transformation, using technology to solve local problems. So, for example, you know, we know in, in a lot of our countries, financial inclusion is a challenge, right? And we've seen a rise in fintech startups. These are companies that are using technology to address the financial inclusion challenge. And, you know, we see services in that space ranging from payments to savings and investments. So payments, platforms like Flutterwave and um, Paystack, savings and investments, you have players like uh, PiggyVest and Bamboo to even blockchain, digital banks like CUDA, and quite a Breadth of services. That's fintech. I started with fintech because we've seen increasing investment into the startup space in Africa, sure. and a huge percentage of that has gone to fintech, over forty percent, right? But you've, we've we've seen that across other sectors as well. Health tech, right? When we talk about you know health logistics, uh, remote diagnostics, telemedicine. E-commerce. So Jumia, as an example, Jumia is an e-commerce player present in 12 countries uh, across uh, Africa. They were listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 2019. And in 2021, they were valued at $5.8 billion, right? We've gone from, in the last 10 years, we've gone from zero unicorns to eight unicorns in Africa. A unicorn is a business uh, valued at over a billion dollars. So examples include Flutterwave, Jumier, Andela, Cheaper Cash, Fawry. And so on. So it's good to see the wave of growth and transformation across the continent. The final piece will be skills development. Sure. When we talk about digital transformation, we're talking about people having the skills to be able to participate in the digital economy, to be able to use these platforms and services. So from a user perspective, but also from a developer perspective, we need developers that can build apps right? So these apps I talked about that are solving local problems. We need developers with skills to build these cloud-based apps or mobile apps and, and use, you know, even emerging technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And so I think it's a, it's a great time from a technology perspective. And I think, you know, following the pandemic as well, we've seen an acceleration in that drive towards embracing, you know, digital technologies and opportunities
0: yeah yeah and you mentioned that you know key to unlocking those three pillars that you've just discussed is, in many instances, regulatory frameworks mm-hmm. that are able to foster a conducive environment. Talk me through, and let's use Nigeria as an example now, talk me through three specific, uh, perhaps, regulations or approaches that you would like to see being implemented in Nigeria. And I'll tell you what I have in mind when we think of China, for instance, right? So we are obviously talking about Africa, mainly dealing with low to middle income countries. Mm-hmm. And And when I think of China and I think of the interventions that they've made in various industries, including tech, Shenzhen, for instance, being established as a free trade zone. Mm -hmm. And that then engendered it or enabled it rather to be able to become a hardware manufacturing hub and leader. And they've moved on into many, many other things, including finance and transportation. So having a long term vision that supersedes you know, the tenure Mm -hmm. of any one politician Mm -hmm. is obviously key. What three things would you like to see from a regulatory and policy perspective?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk broadly across the region. I would say, one... It's so important to create an enabling environment for infrastructure investment and growth because that's the foundational element. That's the starting point. To be able to engage in all the great things I've been talking about, we need to be connected. And so governments need to, you know, we need regulation to remove some of the bottlenecks that carriers and um, service providers experience around right-of-way issues. In some cases, multiple taxation. In some cases, uh, telecom assets. Being being vandalized, right? So declaring them as critical national infrastructure, encouraging infrastructure sharing, those kinds of policies so that it is more, there are more incentives for investing in infrastructure growth. So that's one area to just really stimulate the access space and also you know to provide support to entrepreneurs right because it's great to see the you know unicorns i talked about and the the growth in the tech startup space but for every unicorn out there there are at least a thousand other businesses that don't have the visit that are doing great work of in course. the space, yeah. but don't have the visibility and support to, to the visibility and exposure to get the support that they need. And so this is another area where government can just really provide some enabling regulation. In Nigeria, for example, recently a startup bill was created, which is a positive development. And in terms of support to entrepreneurs, This is where accelerators, tech hubs, incubators really play an important role. But if you look at some statistics, at the moment in the UK, we have about 750 incubators and accelerators. In the US, it's quadruple that number, just over 2,000. In Africa, a region with 1.5 billion people, we have just 47 incubators and if you combine the number of incubators accelerators and tech hubs we're talking about a, a, about um, 643 so that's really, it's very clear that there's a lot of support needed. So that's another area where a lot of this is private sector driven, to be honest. yes. But this is also where government can play a role in trying to you know, accelerate investment in that space. And then of course, skills development. But I will link this to digitizing government, mm. right? Yeah, As a do. third thing, because in our markets, government is a huge consumer, right? Go- our governments are large. And also government is a huge influencer. If I have to go online to get government services, like a a passport or my driver's license, I need those things. So I'll go online. So if we digitize government, one, we're going to have more efficiency, right? But also it's going to influence the citizenry and uh, and force people to actually develop themselves to be able to access those services, right? So I think that would be a game changer if we can just really, if a lot of our governments can be fully digitized.
0: Mm-hmm. Just a very quick follow-up. Are our governments nimble dynamic enough to be essentially what economist Mariana Matsukata talks a lot about as government becoming in the mind of every founder or entrepreneur the lender of first resort as opposed to last resort. And what that means is we look at the, uni- the space in the US where for the internet to develop, that was essentially based, it comes on the backbone of military development and obviously government funding for all of those things to happen. For instance, for SpaceX to exist and for Elon Musk to have the kind of company that he does, he's essentially then utilising and piggybacking off of an immense and many, many years of government development and research and development and innovation when it comes to NASA and satellites and space exploration. So there definitely is a possibility for industries and innovation and tech to happen off the back of government intervention, but also government pulling in individual entrepreneurs and innovators. But are we risk averse, too risk averse rather, as Africans to our detriment? So government certainly has a a big role to play
1: and... If we look at the trends so far, a lot of the innovation has been more private sector driven. The investments as well have been a lot more private sector driven. And if we've come this far, then, you know, with enabling policies and, you know, a lot more support, right, for research and development, for, you know, investing in skills development at scale, these kinds of things that we're talking about, we're going to see a lot more growth.
0: Now, building on the macro interventions needed for this vision of African growth to take place, Dr. Ehumuan also had some advice for the African founder and entrepreneur on how to think around their own journey as well as their business proposition.
1: So that's a very important point and that's a vital piece. So first of all, just even establishing the, the importance of, of, of that um, challenge because you know the fact that you're a great developer right you're able to build a great product doesn't mean that you'll be a good manager doesn't mean that you can build a business it doesn't even mean that you you're a great presenter that you can package that and present to maybe a fundraiser or or someone else right the fact that you're able to get a bunch of people together maybe three people you start uh, start a business and you're making great progress doing some fantastic work doesn't mean that you'll have the necessary experience when that organization grows to 100 people or even at you know 300 people if it's a fast growth environment like we're seeing in some cases right so that support is really important and mentorship plays a key role if we look globally if we look at a lot of the silicon valley organizations we've heard stories of you know mentorship for you know for founders as a critical element in their growth and development as founders as business leaders and so you know that that's really important to be available for our founders and this is where programs can be really helpful, right? Because there may be some founders that have straight access mm-hmm. to people that the, that can mentor them, but not everyone would have that access or even be able to identify that these are the gap areas and this is the these are the people that can really help me and actually even have access to reach those people. And so communities, right? Founder communities, accelerators that also help to you know create c- connection opportunities or networking opportunities between founders and uh, you know potential mentors are important that's why also you know one of the things that i do with beyond limits is founder fellowship program which includes just a a team of experts that have the competences to mentor the startup founders. So over a period of a few weeks, you know, some of those uh, colleagues and, and I spend time with these uh, founders and just going through different aspects of running your business and building your own capacity as an individual, as a leader, right? To help you um, you know, navigate challenges and and grow the business. So that's a very important piece.
0: Next up, I spoke to Dr. Willi Uerstesen, who's the CEO of Liquid Intelligent Technologies. Liquid Intelligent is a business of Cassava Technologies, a Pan-African company present in more than 20 countries. They've established themselves as the leading provider of Pan-African digital infrastructure with quite an extensive fiber broadband network that covers over 110,000 kilometers. I asked Willi to expand on a panel discussion that he'd been part of during the summit. Key to that was the question, what are the challenges to network resilience if we are to realise this digital transformation?
2: I think the the key thing for us in terms of network resilience, it is, as you mentioned, the physical network, and power is a big issue in South Africa specifically now, but also in other parts of of Africa. You need reliable power, you need power backups, investment in power is required, and it's really about the operating cost of networks in this environment that's important. But because we don't want to let our customers down, we do invest in Extra operating costs like generators, fuel, etc., to keep these alive. So, these are some of the challenges. When you look at regulatory requirements, it was about access to spectrum. We waited 15 years in South Africa to get the spectrum auction done, uh, mm. which, was ha- which happened last year. Mm. And then, after the sp- spectrum auction, of course, then the investments has to happen and build out for 4G, 5G, especially 5G capacity, etc. From a regulatory point of view, it is mainly about right of ways, making sure we've got consistency across the world, and there's some work going on now. So Liquid is part of a consortium called Association of Communications Technologies sure. that has direct interface into our minister of telecommunications. And it's mainly about how do we speed up areas, for example, of right-of-ways? How do we get a digital format for that, mm-hmm. digital transformation in oh. the municipalities? Yeah. Because sometimes some of them are very efficient and very quickly bolt fiber. Others are very slow. It takes you months to get these you know, authorities to approve certain fiber bolt areas, et cetera. So there's a few challenges, and it's mainly about speed of execution yes. that we have. Uh, the rule go faster in terms of the vision to build a network in a pet Africa.
0: Something I'm quite sure a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, and people in the space would be particularly interested in is, your, you, you mentioned the relationships, first of all, the consortium that mm-hmm. you're a part of, but the relationships that you need to have with the relevant stakeholders in government in order to effectuate change, which, of course, in this instance, does benefit society at large, aside from the business. But what is what have you found to be the key factor that either moves the needle or gets the necessary buy-in from those stakeholders. I mean, just this morning, we woke up to a News24 headline that reads, no chance of passing urgent energy bill this year, says mm-hmm. committee chair, right? And ostensibly, if this thing is passed ASAP, it makes everybody's lives easier, citizens, of course, but it, it enables businesses to do what they do. Obviously, create profit for their shareholders, but, mm-hmm. you know, engender an, an, an environment in which Small businesses medium and medium sized enterprises can thrive
2: we strongly believe that at uh, liquid saysava technologies that everybody has a right to be connected to the internet mm-hmm. you know at high speed and it 's very simple applications. People want to study online as an example there 's a lot of free content available but you need access to the internet. People want to work online a lot of people are, for example uh, working in a call center for Amazon. It's an online job to give people some good income to sustain themselves, but they need a broadband connection to do that. So we've worked with the Western Cape government, as a good example, and also with the Eastern Cape government, where we connected schools, we connected healthcare facilities, as well as the public administration buildings, and a massive project similar to PPP, a private public participation program. And then we attract external investors. Mm -hmm. So it's not all just something a balance sheet. So it's really about connecting the capital to the projects that will make a difference in people's lives. So we've connected schools. We also run 14,000 hotspots that provide free, broadband access to people in Western Cape government, where the government then funds the backhaul services. So it's really where we believe we make real society impact projects at scale, Mm -hmm. where you connect 3,000 schools and clinics, for example, in Western Cape, we are now about 1,500 in the Eastern Cape and still another 1,500 to go, is really having the impact on people's lives, giving them access to broadband services, broadband access. Similar so project we did for NLD 5 and 6, which is our national long distance routes, where people can then get higher speed access to sure. content. So it's really about Society impacting and then getting the stakeholders from government involved in those areas. And we've really built a good formula for, for that in mm-hmm. at least Western Cape government and Eastern Cape government now.
0: Yeah, Yes, hoping that the governments uh, set up and take note uh, for all our benefits. Final one, the opportunities that do excite you, despite what we've just mentioned.
2: I think the opportunities that, that excite us at Liquid is really to be the vehicle that builds connectivity for Afri- every African. We have it also part of our mission Vision statement, is that we're a technology company, we'll leave no African behind. And it's really about delivering all the services. So everybody in Africa should have the same experience. Whether you use Google in the US or in uh, the Europe or in Johannesburg or in Nairobi, you should have the same experience. People are entitled to have a broadband access to the network and have the content as close as possible and have the same experience of quality mm. that we have. The industry really really busy building as a legacy in, in Africa is that build the digital infrastructure, build the underlying networks, and bring the content to Africa.
0: Now, following on that conversation with Vili, it's clear that opportunities on the continent abound at every point along the telecom's value chain. And that's especially true for Continuous Power Africa, whose unique selling point is providing their telecommunications partners with reliable power and remote monitoring solutions at their sites, however far flung they might be. I spoke to Varun Giridhar, the CEO of the company, to outline their strategy for working across diverse conditions as well as environments. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Varun about innovating in the times of clean energy and just transitions. He had some thoughts on this, and it's uh, quite instructive.
3: The, the company has been built up on a very long history and foundation of technology innovation. So the history of the company goes back to the late 90s when Inala was originally set up here in South Africa. Sure. This was when 2G was all the rage and okay. Inala had come up with a, a very clever piece of technology to monitor the the power assets and and a few other ancillary assets as well that are installed at a two G site, allowing somebody sitting thousands of kilometers away in a network operation center to be able to see what is happening on the site, and that sort of slowly progressed from being a monitoring tool into remote controlling of assets, so you could switch equipment on and off from a network operation center, sure. and now more recently over the last I'd say five ten years it's it's all about autonomous interventions so where the the hardware itself can actually control what's going on in the site mm. and the most recent product that we launched, which was around the same time last year has an a very very intelligent algorithm that has been built in uh, which acts as the brain for the site when it comes to power generation, Power consumption, shifting of power sources, and just energy optimization in general. Sure. What we do today is still very relevant within the African context when it comes to powering mobile, m- mobile telecoms, and and that entire ecosystem. Yeah. Fixed line operators, tower companies, etc. We've gone well beyond just looking at monitoring, just looking at intelligence and optimization. We provide power solutions now. That means that we provide hybrid packet solar wind solutions as well batteries you know it's a very very topical at this point in time particularly in south africa with you know because of load shedding etc so but having said that you know south africa used to be right at the the forefront of technology innovation and and maybe it still is but definitely on the power side it's seen a, you know a massive setback with Absolutely. what's happening with escom but that doesn't take away from the fact that there's a very strong technology backbone within this country where people are very focused on, on solving complex problems within the space that are relevant to the rest of Africa as well.
0: Talk to me about your own research and development process at Continuous Power, what that looks like, what is your approach? What is your view? If I think of a typical phrase from a Silicon Valley Tech Bro, sorry to do this, you might say move fast, break things. Yeah. You know, iterate, iterate, iterate. But in terms of the, I guess, the, the utilitarian sort of phrase yeah. in-house, what is your what is your approach?
3: Typically what happens is that We do our internal R&D. We've got a a head of engineering. It starts off with a head of R&D who comes up with an idea or a product, does a bit of lab testing. Then it's, it's basically socialized with the customer that we think it's most relevant for. And then we get some feedback, comes back, Comes back to us as a more kind of finessed product from the head of R&D, moves on to the head of engineering. Sure. And the head of engineering is then responsible for commercialization. So he is responsible for how the manufacturing process is going to work, what exactly the component sourcing needs to look like, and that he works with the head of Mm R&D. And then, you know, what needs to be done from both a hardware and a software perspective. Because we are... uh, a hardware technology company, which means that we do both hardware as well as software. So the intelligence that sits um, is is all as a result of the work that is done by our young associates, most of whom are from University of Stellenbosch and mm-hmm. University of Cape Town, so very local in that sense. And, and there is a, a process of iteration there as well. There's bug bashing that's done in-house. And then it's finally, there's functional testing that's done in-house, and then we implement it. So there's a long process. Some of these things are very long lead time. So the, the product that we launched last year was as a result of two years of extensive work, mm. uh, development mm. work that went into went into the entire process. And yeah, and, and we're seeing the benefits of it. The product has been installed in over 2,000 sites across across the, the continent. So we're quite pleased with the outcome yeah, um, and we're really looking to... To expand a, a, a gambit beyond that.
0: Listen, I missed I missed the bus when they were handing out any aptitude for maths calculations, anything vaguely related to engineering of any kind. But it does. It sounds fun. It it sounds like an incredibly fun environment.
3: It is. It is. And you know, when, whenever you're doing something that is innovative, technically, there is a there is a certain element of risk that comes with it. So. We have a group of people that that enjoy that that process of of innovating, but they also understand they're very responsible when it comes mm. to understanding the the risk side of things. so we're we're very conscious that we should always mitigate any risk when it comes to product failure, which is fundamental to a business like ours. so we we try and do that to the extent that we can sure. and you know I come from a a finance background, so i'm, I'm I was trained as an investment banker qualified as a chartered accountant. So I come from a very different world. But w- the more I interact with our team as well as the, the entire ecosystem, it, it gives me a lot of confidence that technology is what is really going to to change the, the face of the industry from both an efficiency perspective sure. as well as from the perspective of growth.
0: Expand on that for me, because I, I guess my, my next question w- would have been exactly that. What are the, the various sort of developments or areas of research or interest that you're particularly excited about in terms of the potential for perhaps a sector at large, but specifically for uh, continuous power Africa?
3: So uh, one of the things that we are working on at the moment is the incorporation of of machine learning algorithms into, into what we do. So we have a, an energy sort of edge-based intelligent controller that has very smart algorithms that are programmed into it, which allows for autonomous balancing of power systems, essentially. But what we are now doing is essentially collating vast amounts of data to allow for predictive analytics to take place, which means that you're essentially trying to infer out of trends or multiple trends where there are correlations, whether there is a a causality that is happening. And that causality or the establishment of a hypothesis around that causality will then result in a machine learning algorithm that is written to then pick up those events as they start to come by. And that can have a huge impact on the way in which sites uh Typically managed from a power perspective.
0: Yeah. Final question, a quick one, in fact. We're talking about just transitions within our context. We're talking about the green energy. How do you innovate within, that's, within your space with all these things in mind? Of course, you've just mentioned the mine batteries, etc. cetera.
3: Sure. I, I, and I think, you know, the, those, those are exactly the kinds of things that everyone is doing. So, you know, net zero targets are there. The likes of Orange, American Towers, they all have, they've all signed up to 2050 net, net zero targets. So, how can we support? these organizations as being part of the supply chain to get their Towers in, in Africa, about 10 to 15 times more carbon footprint intensive mm. than their counterparts in Europe. And a, a lot of it is because grid power that feeds into the towers in Europe Come from renewable sources, uh-huh. whereas in Africa they come from coal or, or you know some form of dirty power. Sure. So you know how how do we then remove the reliance on diesel? I think that's that's fundamentally the question at this point in time, and reduce site visits. I think that's another huge contributing factor where you have to drive thousands of miles from an urban center into a rural center probably with no access roads. Site visits become expensive, they become fuel inefficient. How do you reduce that as well? That's something else that we're working on. How do we bring features that increase automation on site without the need for human intervention? So I think those would be the two areas that I can really see a direct impact that we bring about.
0: My next guest is Elhad Kasim, who's the GM of Subsea at Comoros Cables. I asked Elhad about the mandate of Comoros Cables and the journey to accessing the Subsea cable market. About
4: uh, the creation of Comoros Cable, uh, the first com- operator company in Comoros is Comor Telecom. And then when uh, the first uh, Subsea cable arrived in Comoros, landing in Comoros in uh, 2010, mm-hmm. Easy cable. He's Telecom who managed this cable. And uh, up to 2013, our government decided to open the market, telecommunication market, to deliver a second license in telecommunication. So, as Telecom manager, subsea cable it's not normally to be operator of telecom and manage also subsea cable. So, the government decided to share the company to have a company who just to manage the infrastructure of subsi cable, and another company to manage just telecommunication and mobile telecommunication. So in 2013, our government separates the two companies to create Comore Cable to manage just just Subsea cable, and Comore Telecom just to manage uh, about the uh, telecommunication, network and mobile telecom. Sure. And then after two years in uh, 20. 2016, and the company arriving in Comoros is a telco company, limited by uh, uh, Telma in Madagascar. It's now the second company in uh, Comoros.
0: Fundamentally, you, what you've set yourself up or what the goal that you've set yourself up for is to transform or to use ICT as a level for socio-economic development in the country. How have you gone about doing that?
4: About the market, you know, as you say that Comoros, of village, it 1 million. So it's not easy for the both company. But, uh, you know, if there are a competition, every company would like to make more about this because uh, there are some time... That uh, the market is beginning to, to decrease. Mm-hmm. So the regulator company, regulator agencies that uh, managed by uh, the government decided to have some reglement to growth the market and the economy. The, mm-hmm. And then now it's is perfect. Yeah. Because if one works, and then we have uh, um, a, a important population in French mm-hmm. that every year they come in Comoros to grow the Mm-hmm. The population mm-hmm. show yeah. it is.
0: Yes. Further to that question, you say the vision of Comoros cables is to make the Comoros a hub of broadband connectivity, and you speak to Comoros's geopolitical and strategic positioning. Just explain that for me, and uh, how it is that you want to leverage that. What what makes it what makes Comoros uh, placing and positioning strategic?
4: Yeah, of course. That uh, we have this idea, this purpose, to become the hub of. Uh, Interconnection, mm-hmm. because uh, Comoros is located for the uh, the perfect place for the geopolitical uh, places. It's located uh, middle of Africa. We have uh, what can I say? As uh, we say in the beginning, that uh, Comoros is located in uh, Mozambique Channel. Sure. So we have the possibility to connect in the Asia mm-hmm. and the North of Africa, go through the the Europe. Mediterranean Europe and also we can also connect it for the south of Africa and there are many countries in South Africa so the position now if Comoros we can have more cable and then we can do uh, the connectivity for the uh, the country would like to go to or the operator would like to connect to Asia or Europa or the, the the east of Africa so we'd like to to enjoy the this position to to become the hub of uh, uh, subsea cable.
0: Sure. Talk to me about where you stand right now on your way to that goal. How far have you come in terms of reaching that vision or making it happen?
4: Yeah, now uh, when a Komori cable is created, we're not just one cable. This is easy cable. This is first uh, uh, subsea cable landing in Comoros, And then after three, after five years... Another cable. This is a region cable called uh, the Authority cable. It's connected uh, the uh, Indian Ocean islands, Madagascar, Mauritius, La Reunion, and goes through to to Kenya. See the second cable. And now, since uh, the beginning of this year, another cable, new one, is uh, Africa cable. is handed in Comoros in the beginning of this year. And we have also other projects about the subsea uh, cable to develop infrastructure cable for the, the region to become the hub the of sure. uh, Can you
0: expand on those other projects?
4: No for now the, the, the project that we have, you would like to connect some cable in the area like uh, Mozambique and uh, Kenya. and also Tanzania this is uh, the country is uh, around us and then can have one cable that we connect with the country don't you have not uh, the sea yeah who need more capacity like uh, like uh, Rwanda uh, like uh, Bujumbura mm-hmm. so uh, i have some discussion now at the guy okay, from uh, Bujumbura would like to have more capacity in the region because they have not they have not the access in the, the sea to have uh, subsea cable so we have to have uh, some project for them to connect a cable between uh, the region of the east mm-hmm. of africa
0: the landscape right now in Comoros Islands in terms of internet penetration as well as access, what does that look like for the average citizen
4: in Comoros? For us, before, before that they have just Comoros Telecom, the internet is very high. Mm-hmm. But after the arrival of second company, you know, in the competition, every time they, the price uh, be, be down,
0: Okay. We decreased. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It
4: decreased, of course. Mm-hmm. So since arrived uh, the second operator in Comoros, and then Comoros cable have more cable. Mm-hmm. If we have more cable, the price be we decreases, mm-hmm. and then Comoros as this is uh, four island, we developed also the infrastructure to connect the four island with a uh, subsea cable. Sure. Mm-hmm. So all the the sure. the islands have natural have access for internet. Mm-hmm. Everyone can, can connect it by internet and uh, 3G, 4G, mm-hmm. for anywhere we are. Mm-hmm. But,
0: All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really yeah, appreciate you. you sitting down with me. I'm truly inspired by the ambition and the drive of the small island nation. And I do love the story of the underdog. We'll be closely following the ambitious journey of Comoros Cables and tracking how and if ICT can become that social upliftment tool that the country hopes it will be. That's it for the special edition of African Tech Roundup. Thanks to all our guests on this episode for sharing their insights and knowledge and helping us think about how the continent can reimagine itself and grow sustainably. A big shout out to the Novacom Africa team as well. You can see the full videos of my interviews on africatechroundup.com. And of course, please subscribe and like the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.